This is the Roger Stone Show on 77 WABC. Presented by Legacy Precious Metals. A man who's gone through hell, but he's kept going and he's smart and he's strong and people love him. Not everybody, but people love him and respect him. Roger Stone. Now, here's Roger Stone. I'm Roger Stone, and this is the Roger Stone Show at 77 WABC Radio. Joining us now is Chris Collins, uh, a, a businessman, but more importantly, a former congressman from New York's 27th Congressional District uh, until he resigned in 2019. Chris Collins is a former Erie County executive, uh, was the first congressman in the country to endorse Donald Trump for president uh, in the 2016 cycle. Uh, and uh, he was one of our very first guests here on the Roger Stone show when we kicked off the show. Uh, that was, uh, seems like uh, yesterday, but it was, uh, I guess we're almost on our 38th week, I believe. Uh, and uh, there's a terrific story in the Washington Post uh, about Chris Collins uh, and his life. Uh, he uh, resigned under a cloud. He was charged with a crime for which he was not guilty. Uh, he His story is an inspiring story of redemption. It is a story of faith. Uh, it is a story, perhaps, of one of the greatest political comebacks in history. I am very proud to have my friend Chris Collins uh, join me today on The Roger Stone Show. Congressman, welcome. Roger, it's always good to be talking with you. And what you didn't tell your listeners is the other thing that you and I have in common is we were both pardoned by President Trump on December 22nd of 2020. And I was actually in a prison camp in Pensacola, Florida. Uh, it was a very dark time for me. I mean, three days before Christmas of 2020. And uh, my wife had been working with uh, Mark Meadows, who I went to Congress with back in <clears throat> early 2013. We were both elected in the 2012 cycle. But uh, our great President Trump uh, knew uh, those of us who had been uh, dealt uh, unfair hand, if you want to use those words. And um, you and I and Michael Flynn and some others were all pardoned on that same day. And for me, um, I was released from a federal prison. So that story is somewhat uh, in the Washington Post story that was published yesterday, a very large profile, if you will, of, of my life as I'm now uh, preparing to run for Congress again in Florida 19. I'm not going to challenge Byron Donald in a primary, but I believe with his relationship with President Trump, uh, he will, in a lot of likelihood, be joining that administration at some point. Uh, uh, he was in Iowa campaigning uh, for the caucuses a couple of days ago. And so, uh, you know, I certainly support what he's done in supporting Donald Trump and being a conservative voice. But I intend to replace him when he does move on, because I believe he will be. And a uh, little piece of history, I would only be the first person to represent two different states in Congress, New York and then Florida, in the past 55 years, and only the second person in the past 100 years 
to go to Congress representing two different states. So uh, that was one reason I participated with the Washington Post in their interview. Uh, they're known as a liberal paper, but I will tell you uh, they were very fair, and it was a very, very lengthy profile uh, that was published. I've gotten a lot of feedback from my fellow members and past members of Congress all saying that they're going to uh, support me with energy uh, when I do run, whether that's this year or next year, because, again, I believe Byron Donalds will be uh, moving on, and uh, that'll be uh, another chapter in my book of life. And uh, so, again, uh, Roger, you and I share a lot of common uh, traits. We both were persecuted, prosecuted, and I leveraged into a guilty plea, which uh, in my case, uh, they leveraged my family. And uh, that's a whole different story, but um, always good to be on our show. And, and uh, uh, anything you want to talk about, let's go. Well, I, I want people to understand precisely what happened to you because it is so outrageously uh, unfair. I mean, in essence, uh, you, as I understand, you were charged with insider trading, which you were not guilty of. You made not a single illicit penny. Uh, you, it seems to me, were targeted by the Justice Department largely because you were the first member of Congress to endorse Donald Trump. Uh, and uh, people, I, I really, we, we've talked through this before on the air. Uh, I think it was uh, very revealing. Uh, walk folks through exactly what happened and why you ultimately decided to take a plea. Uh, and uh, I agree with you. Uh, great thanks uh, to President Donald Trump for seeing the injustice and outrageousness of your politically motivated prosecution and conviction. But walk people through this because it's chilling. Well, I think, and I will, the most chilling thing is how the, I call them the Department of Injustice, will leverage family time and time and time again to, uh, in 98% of, of uh uh, indictments in the federal system and in a plea deal. Uh, they leverage your family and, and they also overcharge people. And, you know, in my case, I was charged with 11. Families. I mean, the president, I think, in his cases now is facing something like 92 different charges. But when they charge you with separate, in my case, 11 uh, felony counts uh, associated with, with insider trading and and as you said, I never sold any stock, and I was never charged with selling stock. But they will use relationships in a way to, you know, in my case, go after me. And, you know, if you get convicted of 11 felonies you know, for a very long period of time, and that's when they approach other people and say, you plead guilty to one felony, uh, you know, you may do five years, but you're not going to do 50 years. Um, you know, we need criminal justice reform to, to stop these SOBs uh, from abusing their position. So, you know, in this case, uh, the U.S. Attorney, Jeffrey Berman, uh, a book, he made his money on a book, and it was all about how he fought the uh, Trump Department of Justice. He was part of it. He was uh, appointed U.S. Attorney, and luckily, uh, at some point here, Trump fired him. But uh, the person who came to get me, Damian Williams, was his associate. He's now the U.S. attorney 
for uh, the Southern District of New York. But the long and short of it is I was on the board of a company developing drug to treat secondary aggressive sclerosis. The most deadly in America I was involved with a company over 15 years. They actually have a drug that works, uh, but multiple sclerosis being debilitating had people on a compassionate basis allowed to take the drug. And since it was compassionate, we tracked their progress, knew the drug worked. Uh, it was life-changing, but when it came time to do a formal FDA trial, the, uh, we had to have measure, measurements that proved it worked. And one of them was a length of time it took you to walk across the room. Uh, you know, people on the placebo, you would take longer to get a room than somebody on a drug to find the trial. But we ended up having to put patients into the trial that were not late stage in order to get those measurements. And the tragedy here is uh, when the results came back, they did not see a measurable difference between the patients on the drug and patients on the placebo. And it wasn't that the drug doesn't work, but frankly, we had the wrong patients in the trial. But in that case, uh, we had uh, already established that when the trial results came out, that was publicly traded in Australia. Um, it was an Australian-listed company, not in the U.S. And uh, we put a trading halt on the stock. We had, so those of us on the board knew when the results were coming out. We knew there would be a trading halt instantly on, on the trial so we could digest whatever the trial results were and then announce them to the public at a later date. But knowing that uh, we would have those, we made sure there was a going to be a trading hall. So we got the results. Uh, uh, they were uh, negative. They just showed no measurable difference, and therefore the, the trial was deemed a failure. Uh, each member of the board, myself included, uh, certainly shared those dev devastating results with our families. I mean, again, there's no harm in that. Uh, there was a trading halt on the stock, and all of us certainly own stock, and uh, many of our family members did, uh, including uh, my my kids. All of our stock was in Australia, couldn't be traded in the U.S., which was trading small numbers of shares on the NASDAQ, which, uh, as CEO later said, he erred in not making sure NASDAQ halted trading. Uh, no one ever even considered that. Like I said, our stocks were in Australia. But in my case, uh, I, I did share the results with my, my wife and my son. And the next morning, at quarter to 10 in the morning, I got a call from my son that, that uh, they were, there was trading going on on NASDAQ, uh, penny stock, you know, over-the-counter pink sheets. And he did sell some of his stock. Uh, I thought his stock was on, but he had moved it into the U.S. Uh, two weeks earlier. I had, I had no idea. Uh, by then, it was too late because he had sold some stock. He was 24 years old. Uh, he didn't know better, and uh, that's what started this. You know, when they, they tracked things like this and uh, determined this happened, and they saw an opportunity for my 24-year-old son to get me. Uh, at the end of the day, the judge did say to the prosecution, I've never seen a case where a 24-year-old that wasn't in the industry had traded some stock. Maybe he shouldn't have done that. But that would be a civil 
settlement with the SEC, not a criminal felony count, or in his case, eight criminal felony counts. Um, but that was the, the, the road we traveled. Uh, they did, uh, they looked at everyone who sold stock. They found people that uh, knew somebody who knew somebody who knew somebody that knew me. They charged me with felonies for people that sold stock that I never heard of, never knew, never met, didn't know who they were. And yet they piled on, uh, they piled on wire fraud charges, uh, uh, you, you name it. And, you know, when we got into our discovery, we said, what, what, what's a wire fraud? You know, Collins never sold any stock, never got any money. No money went through his account. Show us this. Well, the Obama appointed judge refused all of our discovery requests. Turns out he used to work for the Southern District of New York. Uh, you know, he was in that office for some time. But, uh, you know, I faced the Department of Injustice. They, they had, you know, the case against me totally imploded on them. When they did find out, I didn't share the results with anyone else that sold stock. I didn't sell any myself. And uh, they also violated my constitutional rights as a member of Congress and the way they scooped up electronic materials from my staff in computers looking for some linkage. But in doing that, they violated the speech or debate clause that protects members of Congress from having another branch of the government, Department of Justice, going after what could be legislative materials. Uh, you know, they were sloppy. Uh, they finally, you know, <laughs> the irony of ironies is Nancy Pelosi filed an amicus brief uh, with the uh, the court supporting my position that they had violated my speech or debate rights under the Constitution as a member of Congress because she was concerned it could happen you know to any member of Congress unless this was was dealt with uh, the judge ruled against us in each case uh, we stated we were going to appeal his rulings to the Supreme Court in an interlocutory appeal, which we had the right to do. Uh, and the court understood that, the judge understood that, the prosecution understood that. And it would have delayed any trial uh, that I would have faced by three years. And and I've always said that I would have been acquitted at trial. You know, fundamentally, I, I never sold stock. I didn't charge someone with insider trading. And especially given the, the facts, there was a trading halt on the stock. So when I made a phone call, it was under the understanding no one could trade stock. Every member of the board shared the information with their families. Well, this is where Damian Williams, in, in a book that Jeff Berman wrote, said, the way to get Collins is to leverage his son. We're going to separate his son from his trial, and we don't believe the congressman will sit on the sidelines while his son goes to trial uh, without him. And they were right. Uh, that came out in late September of, of 2019. We went to the uh, prosecution and said, what do we got to do to, to you know, put this to an end? They said, well, the congressman's got to plead guilty to one charge of conspiracy to commit insider trading. Since I hadn't traded, they couldn't hit me with that. Conspiracy can be an overbroad definition. And one statement of uh, one charge of making a false statement uh, to the FBI, which they never shared with us what that statement was. Uh, again, in discovery, we got ruled against time and again with them saying, you'll hear about that as the trial date approaches. We're not going to disclose that. 
this early in discovery. So I did take, accept that plea. Uh, my son pled guilty to one charge of conspiracy to commit securities fraud and that sentencing. Uh, what I did worked to the extent my son was put on probation. Um, and the judge slapped me with 26 months in federal prison, even though the uh, uh, probation department had recommended, quote, a year and a day, almost unheard of for a judge to more than double the time that somebody's going to be sentenced. But he, he even made uh, a mention uh, at my sentencing how I had the audacity to run for reelection, which I did in 20. 18, uh, he, I was indicted less than 90 days from the election. Jeff Berman in his book admitted he understood the political impact of that, but he thought my constituents deserved to know I was under indictment or would be. So he indicted me, uh, you know, like they've done with Trump. I had less than 90 days to go. I had 11 felony counts on my head. You'd say, who can ever get elected with 11 felony accounts, you know, in less than 90 days from the election? The long and short of it is, after pausing my reelection for about five weeks, um, I stepped back out, ran for reelection, and I was reelected uh, to Congress uh, in the uh, November 2018 election, uh, even though I had 11 felony counts on my head. Uh, you know, the other thing that happened, I went in, and Paul Ryan, who was our speaker, took me aside and he said, We have a rule that says you can't serve on a committee. I was on the most influential committee, Energy and Commerce. He stripped me of my committee assignment, and it was a fabricated rule. Uh, that rule did not exist. You know, I wasn't going to fight the Speaker of the House, but as I think back on it, you know, he stripped me of my committee assignment, and there was no basis for that. Um, you know, I accepted it and said, okay, uh, life moves forward, and uh, um uh, and it did. I had to res I, when I pled guilty on September 30th and uh, resigned from Congress the next day, October 1st of 2019, and then had to sit back, wait for the the sentencing. And uh, again, was successful that my son did not go to prison, and I got hit with 26 months. You know, I'm old enough to say if. Uh, in a camp setting in Pensacola, you know, whatever that happens to be, I can survive that. But it's all about family. And uh, so I did think, you know, COVID hit very shortly after uh, I was sentenced. And in this case, uh, when COVID hit, uh, I was not yet in and we were able to postpone my date to get into prison based on the fact I was 70 years old, had asthma, would have been at very high risk of dying in prison if I contracted COVID and there was no vaccine. So we got several delays, you know, from March to April, to June, to August, to October, because it was COVID still raging throughout 2020 and I was in the highest risk category. Uh, I was due to report October 13 of 2020 and we asked for another delay till December because of my age and underlying health issues and it should have been you know kind of a no-brainer but in this case uh, the judge refused to act on our ruling and he let our ruling expire um, and it's obvious now they wanted me to do jail time and the rumor was I might be pardoned by President Trump and so 
the judge, uh, he'll have to, you know, at some point in his day of reckoning, according to the federal prison on October 13th, as on high pressure, at a point in time there were no treatment or anything else COVID. Uh, and they actually said prison was safer than Marco Island, Florida. There were cases of COVID in Marco Island, Florida, where we're living, but there were no cases of COVID in the federal camp in Pensacola. I mean, this, the audacity of that logic escapes me. But I was forced in. Uh, I was there for 71 days and was pardoned on December 22nd of 2020 and came home, you know, to start my life. And the irony is, three weeks after I left the prison camp, COVID ravaged the prison camp. 100% of the inmates contracted COVID within three weeks of President Trump's pardon of me to get me out of what I think may well have been a death sentence. Because I would have contracted COVID along with January of 21. At home, I was safe and and I will say in, in a memoir I've been working on, President Donald J. Trump saved my life with a part on December 22nd, 2020, three weeks before COVID ravaged the entire Pensacola prison camp. So I just wrote a very long uh, uh, piece of my story. There's several things that should disturb any listener about the Department of Injustice about how they leverage family, they overcharge, um, they pressure in order to get guilty pleas. They don't like to go to trial. They just want guilty pleas so they can write books and brag about, in my case, taking down a sitting member of Congress. But at some point, you know, they need to answer to the fact that I was even forced into a prison in the midst of the COVID pandemic. At my age, there's only person in the prison camp over age 70. And again, with asthma and high blood pressure. Uh, but I did get out. Thank you, President Trump, for saving my life. And now I intend to go back to Congress uh, sometime uh, after Byron Donalds uh, moves, I think, into the administration. And, you know, I'll have uh, another chapter in my book of life. Uh, the whole world, of course, saw uh, on the morning of January 25th, uh, 2019, uh, 29 heavily armed, fully SWAT clad FBI agents swarm my home to uh, arrest me for the first time nonviolent alleged crime uh, of lying under Congress in my voluntary testimony <clears throat> regarding Russian collusion that we now know definitively never actually happened. This was, uh, I think, apparent to everybody, set up for CNN, who just happened to have uh, a camera uh, crew 25 feet from my front door. Wow, how coincidental they just happened to be there. Uh, you narrowly avoided a very similar situation uh, where they, I think, not only uh, sought to take you down for politically motivated reasons, but to humiliate you, largely because you were a supporter of President Trump. Uh, but you, you avoided that. Tell us about that. 
Well, uh, you know, as the county executive in Buffalo, you know, the largest upstate county in New York, and as county executive, I had oversight over everything from the sheriff's department, interface with the other law enforcement, certainly including and the like. Our law enforcement, uh, I need go bills. Uh, a few uh, counties, uh, you know, we had the, uh, you know, uh, in, in the county, and I was uh, the county executive. Um, that uh, I found out that they were intending to raid uh, my house in, in Clarence, New York, uh, like they did you to, with the film uh, crew out there pulling me out in my underwear uh, to be humiliated. Uh, I got a phone call uh, from an FBI agent. Uh, his call was, uh, Mr. Collins, you don't know me, but I know you, I know of you. There are plans to uh, go to your house with a film crew and pull you out so that you can be embarrassed on national TV. Uh, I know your background. I respect you, what you've always done in supporting law enforcement and what you've accomplished in the in Erie County. And I want to let you know ahead of time that's coming. So uh, you could take actions to try to avoid that. Uh, I hung up the phone. Uh, I said to my wife, I'm disappearing. Uh, we went to the airport uh, car rental. I rented a car in her name. I took the SIM card out of my telephone, got in the car. I drove to New York City where my daughter had an apartment, and I uh, disappeared. I turned the car in, took a taxi, paid cash, uh, had them drop me off four blocks from my daughter's apartment, and they couldn't find me. They desperately tried to find me. They could not, and five days later, because we've been asking, because we knew something was coming, that we'd be allowed to, quote, self-surrender and go through that process of of being indicted. Um, And they finally, you know, calmly called my attorney and said, well, uh, we've decided to accept uh, your offer of self-surrender. Of course they did. They couldn't find me. They didn't know where I was, and I guess the good news is I cheated them out of the possibility of them doing to me what they did to you, and they do to others all the time. Uh, nonviolent people, uh, you know, they show up to embarrass you. They tip off CNN and the local TV stations. I mean, this just shows you the the arrogance and the abuse of the U.S. attorneys, Department of Justice. The FBI goes along with it. Uh, you, you can't defend it. I mean, in your case, gunboats and everything else. Uh, and in my case, they just pulled me out of my underwear and was filming. But I, I had the good fortune of having some inside the FBI understand what was going to come down and tip me off. Not, and I didn't even know this individual, but he just it was fundamentally something that happened. So that I avoided the debacle that you had to go through, Roger. Well, I had a very similar situation uh, by the time I was, uh, I think, unjustly convicted. Mueller, by the way, was forced to admit on November 3rd, 2020, when his final report uh, was ultimately unredacted by only by order of a federal judge, that he had found uh, no evidence of Russian collusion or WikiLeaks collaboration or any other crime on my part. So I was charged in an effort to pressure me to testify falsely against Donald Trump. I refused to do that. 
uh, and I lived through two and a half years of hell because of it. Uh, the same situation. The Bureau of Prisons insisted there were no COVID cases uh, in the dank Georgia prison they wanted to send me to. I was 69 years old at the time, also with a lifetime history uh, of asthma. In our case, our whistleblower was uh, a, an African-American woman who was the head of the prison guards union at this particular facility in Georgia, read about this in the newspaper or saw it on TV, called my attorney and said, look, there, if the Bureau of Prisons is telling you there are no COVID cases here, that's not true. We have tested over 200 inmates and we're just waiting for the tests to come back. But there are people here who are very sick. Uh, and within uh, within days uh, of the commutation of my sentence, the website for the Bureau of Prisons showed that there were well over 100 uh, cases of COVID-19 at the facility at which I was supposed to turn myself in. So like with you, this this was uh, a death sentence. Uh, it is a, it's a broken system. Uh, there are those, particularly some in the media, who will never get over the fact that, well, I continue to this day to say that I did nothing wrong because I did nothing wrong. And I thank Jesus Christ, uh, my faith, uh, and the bold leadership uh, of Donald Trump for saving my life. Very similar to you. Uh, let's let's get into a, a, a much, uh, uh, I think, a brighter topic, although an important one. Chris, if you get back to Congress, uh, what's the first thing you would do? What are the greatest challenges facing this country today? Because I know it has to be hurting you to know Given your record of leadership and your record of accomplishment on behalf of the people of upstate New York uh, and the people you would now serve in in uh, southwestern Florida, what would you do if you got back to Congress? What would be your priorities? Well, and, and let me uh, uh, mention two other things here before I get into that. The other two people that were, or two of the people pardoned on the same day as us, I was the first member of Congress uh, to endorse Donald Trump. One was Duncan Hunter, Congressman uh, from California, who was the second person to endorse Donald J. Trump for president in February of 2016. He also was forced into a guilty plea to a felony with leveraging his family, um, having to do with some campaign fund issues, which is never done criminally. Again, it's uh, you might settle with the ethics people or something else. They saw take me down, the first member, and they thought it would take Hunter down, the second member, and then they took down General Flynn. And again, they leveraged General Flynn's family. Somebody, you know, as we all know his story uh, and, and what he went through. But you and I were pardoned. Uh, Duncan Hunter was pardoned. It was General Flynn because President Trump understood the injustice uh, done, uh, frankly, to all of us, as well as Paul Manafort, his campaign manager, who was also pardoned on the same day. You know, there was a whole list of Trump supporters uh, that were taken down by the Department of Injustice. Uh, but back to your question, uh, the beauty of me going back to Congress will be Donald J. Trump will be the president of the United States. Uh, people may not realize, too, that because of my support and interaction with the president during his campaign, uh, I was appointed 
uh, by uh, Paul Ryan, who later stripped me of my committee assignment, to be the, and this was at Trump's assistance, the congressional liaison to the White House. And I also was placed on uh, President Trump's, uh, the executive committee of his transition team. So I was involved with uh, getting and uh, helping vet all the appointments into the administration. Any member of Congress who wanted someone they knew to enter the administration into any appointed position had to run that through my office. And then we worked with uh, the uh, president's staff to you know, recommend certain people for all manner and sort of administrative jobs. You know, there's literally like 2,000 appointments that come through when there's a change in administration. Chris, I, 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 Chris, I apologize. Unfortunately, we're, we have run out of time. I want to thank Chris Collins, uh, former and future member of Congress, for joining us here on The Roger Stone Show. My Chris, pleasure, God bless Roger. you thank and you so Happy much. New Year. Yes, you as well. Thank you, Roger.